truthfully, I walked into this expecting to like it. It's got Flint, a.k.a. Micah Brack. And some of you get that, but I'm just going to explain this one. He's actually mentioned, the Micah Brack name is mentioned in this. He was a super wealthy mega-billionaire during the novel Federation, which I've referenced several times, is one of my favorite Star Trek books, so... And I was like, yeah, it's Flint, sweet! Hey! Nope. <laughs> this, this is just... This guy is Micah? I, this is not a joke. I actually based a character in my own setting, uh, a woman whose name I don't... I, I have to have a pronunciation guide in front of me to pronounce, because it's Italian. But, what, I'm terrible. But she's actually based off of that idea of Micah Brack. And I look at this episode like, but that's nothing like... Whatever. I know, I know. It's been centuries. I get it, I get it. It's just, really? Uh, also... You may remember I mentioned, well, is there ever going to be a DC crossover? There was! There was actually a DC crossover. Vandal Savage is all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Louis Sorel uh, plays the android and does a pretty decent job of her, actually. Even though both her and James Daly, who played Flint, were both kind of like, this is ridiculous and stupid, but, you know, it's a paycheck. Nevertheless, did good performances, and they do actually help to buoy this episode up from what otherwise might be in qualification for Lamentation territory. To be clear, I really don't like this episode. First of all, it's an episode that doesn't know what it is. Now, an episode does not have to fit in a box. I keep classifying these episodes as we go, you know. Uh, threat episodes, mystery episodes, thinker episodes, etc. And a lot of Trek follows that pattern. It doesn't have to, though. There's nothing wrong with having an episode uh, kind of an in-between thing, right? Or kind of mixing into whatever. But this episode feels like it's a mystery episode, which then suddenly has a threat show up at the last minute, only for the threat to resolve itself, and then just kind of try to pretend it's a character piece. In short, the core idea of this episode is character piece. But it's not. It's character assassination. And it's covered over by a threat, which isn't, and a mystery, which... Okay, I'll give you the mystery part. This episode was written by Jerome Bixby. You may remember him. Mirror Mirror. Uh, by another name, and Day of the Dove. In fact, I think this is his last one for the show. I can't even believe I didn't realize this, because uh, I've known the name, and, and it's been stri striking me the last couple months as I've been working on this show. Um, he wrote It's a Good Life. If you don't know what that is, look up It's a Good Life, Twilight Zone. It'll probably uh, ding some memories. And if you don't feel like looking it up, all I'm going to say is Wishing You Into the Cornfield. That's him. That's his episode. Anyways, uh, yeah, this episode sucks. <laughs> there were some rewrites, obviously. And there were substantial changes, especially in the final draft, as usual. Uh, Murray Golden did the best he could with this. He's the director. He never directed anything before or since. <sighs> We have a raging epidemic. It's super difficult. Barely and uh, 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 severely inconvenient. There we go. And, and oh my gosh, we need this super rare material. But it's okay. Because there happens to be some on this nearby planet. Sweet! So they beam down, and they, they check around on the sensors. And it turns out that four clicks that way, that's four kilometers, there's some. Sweet! They have two hours. And they walk off towards this four-kilometer trip on foot. They're in a hurry, right? 
You ever walk four clicks? I have. I've walked substantially longer. It's not a short walk. And they're just going at a sauntering pace. Why don't they just beam up and then beam down over there? Now, I know that Flint has been kind of arranging this whole situation, but I, I do want to be very clear about this. One of the biggest problems with this episode is that it's like someone walked into the writing room and was like, Hey guys, remember the plague? And they're like, Oh yeah, we should do something about the plague. And then they mention the plague and how extremely deadly it is and how they've only got like hours or minutes left and then they completely ignore the plague again. And that happens constantly in the whole episode. Flint shows up and he's like, I refuse to give you the Ritalin because I'm pure evil. No explanation given whatsoever. And finally, he, he has memories of the bubonic plague, so he decides, okay, fine. He then kisses her, and she... I will give this. This is actually kind of cool. She totally doesn't react to it. Complete stonewall. Like, like, she's just confused about what's happening. Obviously, that makes sense. She doesn't understand what's happening because she's still working on this whole emotional thing. Okay, lines up. He then gives his talk of loneliness, and we now understand what's going on and who she is in relation to him. All right. Then we have the weirdest commercial break in TOS. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to meet... Reyna. God, that took me a second. Reyna, and she walks in, and it's like, oh, It's a woman! Dun, dun, dun! Cut to black. I've seen some bad commercial breaks. In fact, there's another one later in this very episode. But that is... What? Like, I'm actually legitimately confused by that. Anyways. Uh, so then we find out a few tidbits. This is where the mystery is. And the mystery is all right. You know, there's an original Leonardo da Vinci painting. There's uh, original Brahms work. Okay, that's cool. And, of course, the woman, act, Reina, acts just a little bit off. Now, I have a note here that says no one notices. Actually, that's wrong. As Spock later mentions, he did notice. So i got to strike that. And, again, Louise Sowell does... I hope I'm saying her name correctly, does actually do a fairly good job of, of portraying this android and someone who's just has access to emotions but hasn't really gotten used to them and is still figuring it out. She does a good job with it, and I do want to give her credit where credit is due. So then there's another kiss, this one by Kirk. Again, no reaction. Why would there be? And this leads to M4 being like, I'm going to destroy you. Ah, da-da-da, commercial break. Okay, I'm willing to forgive this one, though. Why? Because the M4 walks in and acts threatening, I guess. I mean, I don't see anything threatening about how it's acting, but whatever. Apparently they think it's going to attack him. And it wanders over into an attacking posture. This thing has a gun. We saw this in the beginning of the episode. It, it can just go and destroy something, right? Why does it not shoot Kirk? Actually, that's not a mistake. That's on purpose. Because it's been sent by Flint to threaten Kirk to evoke emotions in her. So that lines up. I'll give you that one, too, episode. See, little things like this are what buoy this episode from otherwise being total drag. This is probably the best time to mention why this episode really, really is something I don't like. Um, let's see. Three times in a row, Kirk, who I remind you, has a ship, his ship and his crew, which... There's are basically the biggest thing Kirk's big on and has been big on since the first episode, right? Like, that's his shtick. He even overcomes a literal biological fixation over in um, uh, Alana Troyes because of how much he is into his ship. 
And all he's thinking about is this girl he just met, who he has absolutely no chemistry with whatsoever, and has done nothing other than being hot. I get love at first sight, but this is insulting on every level, and, to be perfectly blunt, character assassination. Now Kirk is someone who's a bit of a womanizer. Let's just go ahead and say that. He has absolutely no problem trying to smooth his way through things, and he likes to go through multiple women. Okay, fine. It's not something I particularly approve of, to be completely blunt, mostly because of the lack of proper information. Like, if he was like, hey, so you want to have a thing for a few days and then move on like an adult? That wouldn't bother me. It didn't bother me when Hoshi did that back in Three Days and Three Nights. Why would it? It's just two adults having fun. Nothing wrong with that. But what Kirk does is like, hey, and then leaves. <laughs> or she dies. That's another thing that tends to happen. And then is never brought up again. At no point is it being approached in an adult manner. So Kirk is already not exactly high on my list of acceptability when it comes to his treatment of women. But in this case, he literally sees her and she doesn't react. Notice he kisses her and she doesn't react. Which is already just kind of... Nah. Then he moves in for the kiss again. And this time she starts to react as, she's starting, as, her, as the emotions of the android start to process. This isn't love. This isn't love at first sight. This isn't puppy love. This is nothing. This is straight up lust. Now... Again, that wouldn't bother me any more than it bothers me any of the other times, except Kirk is treated as being so utterly in love with this woman. They call it that over and over and over and over. They insist that this is love. And, they, and Kirk is so in love with her that he forgets about his ship and crew and the crises of the moment three times in a row across three successive scenes. Never mind, I think he does it like four or five other times throughout the rest of the episode. This is character assassination straight up, my opinion. And that's what really drags this one down. This is actual nonsense. I offer you happiness. What? You love me, not Flint. What evidence has she given you of that, exactly? <laughs> Kirk finds out that there's no past, and all he can think of is, what hold does he have on her, not, oh my gosh, this is suspicious. This this then leads to something that irritates me even more. Spock insists on trying to keep Kirk from the truth, because I don't freaking know why. And then McCoy comes in with Kirk and Spock, and they find out... Well, first they find the Rytalon. Sweet! Then they find the android bodies. And rather than McCoy being like, hey, beam me up right now so I can start distributing this to the crew that's in the middle of dying, everyone just kind of rubbernecks and hangs around as they slowly unveil that you know what the Reynas are and the fact that Flint is immortal and is secretly Vandal Savage. Actually, in that DC crossover, Flint and Vandal Savage are basically alternate universe versions of each other. That's, that's just how that is supposed to line up. And, I mean, the backstories are actually quite similar. So, either way, they just kind of chill and exposit and take their time and, and reveal everything that we've already... They even specifically mentioned the Leonardo and the Brahms thing. He flat out says that, you know, she is his property. There's this actually pretty good model of the Enterprise. Um, what's kind of interesting is despite all of his overall villainy, and he is a villain in this episode, Flint is, Kirk still agrees to keep his secret at least until he dies, which honestly isn't going to be all that long from now, so, hey, probably goes in his logs to be unveiled in, like, 30 years or something like that. Because they do actually mention this in the future. Janeway specifically references it this episode, way in the future. No joke. Anyways, 
And the and, and, and in my notes, can I just read this? My note says, hello, virus? No, no, um, we have to have a fist fight. And Kirk flat out says, stay out of this, we're fighting over a woman. Even as someone who does not personally approve of Kirk's approach to women, this is out of character for Kirk. This is way over the top. She then dies. Because that's what happens. You know, either she, he leaves them or she dies. That's, that's the pattern. Um, and Flint is all devastated for some reason. I guess he hasn't decided to make another one. Or go back to Earth, because he could do that, too, and just go back to being immortal if he really wanted to. Yeah. I, want, I, I counted, by the way. From the moment they discover the Rytalon, and they're in critical moment. By the way, they don't just have, have to get up to the ship. They have to get up to the ship and then distribute it to all the crew so that they can get better. They spend 12 minutes and 27 seconds between when they get when they see the right talon and when we have the fade to black to them going up to the ship that is a huge chunk of the episode and a huge chunk of real time that happens on camera while they are in a crisis no really we need to get going situation you see what I mean about how the episode is like, oh yeah, the, the, the plague, let's, let's remember that. And then, then just to make this even stupider, Kirk is so distraught over the loss of his one true love, what's-her-face? He is so emotionally distraught over this that both Spock and McCoy separately say, oh my gosh, if only he could forget. And Sp Spock goes over and actually makes him forget. What? What? Not Edith Keeler, the one that the actual creators of Star Trek insist is his one true love. Not his wife of several months. I'm not going to try to pronounce her name because I don't remember it right now. From back in Paradise Syndrome. No, just this random face. I don't like this episode. At all. With one caveat. Flint is a cool idea. For the same reason Vandal Savage is a cool idea. He's actually one of my favorite villains in DC, simply because of the possibilities that he presents as just being an immortal. Just that, nothing else. You know, it's the Wolverine factor. He's just that old and can regenerate from whatever. There's something interesting about that. Um, there's a reason why Flint and his various forms have shown up in so many other works, mostly the books and games and stuff. Uh, comics, too, obviously. Because the idea of Flint is fascinating. And the idea of, of how much of human history he could have been a part of is fascinating and awesome. And I think that's the only reason this episode has any impact on me. It's the only reason I remember it at all. Which again boils back to what I said at the beginning. One of my favorite Star Trek books, Federation. To be completely blunt, I think I'm going to go ahead and just kind of mentally eject this episode whenever I reread Federation in the future. As always, curious of your guys' thoughts on mine. And looking forward to seeing what you had to say on this one. Hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time.